We're still in a series here called Faith University. It's another one. And so I I want you to to, to turn or click to your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter number one, verse number 29. Man, I'm excited about the word. And I want to share what's on my heart for us today. Some of y'all are like, we've been in this series a long time. Show you right. (laughs) Show you right. Uh, when are we done? I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to be here until, until I believe I get a release to move on. Mark chapter 1 verse 29 says this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Andrew. Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I want to talk from this subject in our time together. Here's the clause of concern. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I want to talk from this subject. I'm coming in hot. Um, I'm coming in I'm coming in hot. Somebody just put some fire in the chat right now. I'm coming in. I'm coming in hot. Family, we are in session whatever of this series of sermons entitled Faith University, where we are intentionally attempting to upgrade our faith because we have received a revelation. Look at me that you cannot get Christianity right if you're getting faith wrong. We've explored in this series a series of truths that are foundational to what I'm attempting to articulate in this series, and the first of which, one of which, is this, that for the believer, faith should not just be a response to crisis, but for the believer, faith should be a way of life. It means that I don't just walk by faith when the doors are closed. I walk by faith when the doors are open. It means that we don't walk by faith just when the answer is no. We walk by faith even when the answer is yes. It means that we just don't use faith when things are going wrong. We continue to use faith when things are going well. We don't just use faith when the wrong people walk out of our life. We use faith when the right people walk into it. Because faith should not just be a response to crisis. It should be a way of life. The just shall live by faith. We start the business by faith. We say, I do by faith. We write the book by faith. We speak over our children by faith. We believe for healing by faith. Because the just shall live by faith. Nothing works optimally spiritually without faith. Prayer is not as effective as it could be without it. Salvation cannot be achieved and experienced without it. And God cannot be pleased without it. For the scriptures say uh, um, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, acting like God is telling the truth all the time about everything. Faith is is acting like God 
is telling the truth all the time about everything. Faith is acting like, not feeling like. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, it's acting like, not feeling like. So it doesn't mean that I feel and then move. I move and command my feelings to catch up. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, it is, it is not feeling like God's telling the truth because sometimes you don't always feel like God's telling the truth, right? Watch me, he talks about the difference between faith, fact, and experience, right? So sometimes I got a circumstance that's a fact. Right. If I got a financial need, that's a fact. If I got a physical need, that's a fact. If things aren't going well in a business, that's a fact. If things aren't going well in a relationship, that's a fact. But what Nee says is don't let the facts change the truth. That's a fact. But the truth is God will supply all of my needs. Right. So the facts don't change the truth, but the truth will change the facts. So faith is acting like not feeling like God's. Telling the truth. The acting like is what distinguishes faith from simply belief. See, some people have belief and they're calling it faith. Come on, Darius, what's the difference? The Bible says faith has an author and a finisher. Looking, come on, unto Jesus, who is the author, my faith comes from him, and the finisher, my faith goes back into him of my faith. Come on. See, when someone simply believes or they're optimistic, their belief has no source. They're believing in believing. You know, I'm not worried about it because I believe it's going to work out. That's optimism. Faith is different. Faith has an author and a finisher. Faith says, I don't just believe it's going to work out. I believe God is going to work it out. I'm not believing in believing. I'm not hoping in hope. I'm hoping in God. I'm hoping in the sovereign one who is able to orchestrate all things according to the counsel of his will. My faith is in the one who opened. My faith is in doors. My faith is in, watch this, the one who opens doors no man can shut and closes doors no man can open. My faith is not in a universe. My faith is in the one that created it. Am I making sense? It's acting like God is telling the truth all the time about everything. The anchor in that definition is the word God. And that's what we've been trying to articulate for these past couple of months. That we don't build our faith just by hearing more about faith. We build our faith by understanding three realities about God. God's character, that's who he is. God's competence, that's what he can do. And God's covenant, it's the prearranged agreement <laughs> he's made with me. And we spent a few weeks exploring God's character, who he is. On today, we're transitioning and turning the corner and exploring God's competence, what he can do. And this text we just read in Mark, is tailored to teach us that God is able to make your fever stable. 
<laughs> Did you hear what I just said? I said, God, the text teaches that, <laughs> that God is able to make your fever stable. This, in other words, God, watch this, God is able to help you with your hotness. Darius, where'd you get that? I was reading the text. I was reading the gospel of Mark chapter number one. And the Bible says Jesus has just engaged in an exorcism in the synagogue. And as he leaves, the, I'm not going to bother that. So he's in the synagogue teaching and has to perform an exorcism in the synagogue. Yes. Now, he's not performing an exorcism outside the synagogue. It's inside the synagogue. So people are informed spiritually yet imprisoned at the same time. And he says, you will not be able to act out what you've been informed about if I don't in address the internal resistance that you're dealing with in the form of being influenced by an evil spirit. Y'all don't want to. Yeah, I know, I know we live in an age, right? Like this post-enlightenment era where when you start talking about the reality of a what, what the Bible calls a heavenly realm, which heavenly in the Bible, heavenly places doesn't refer to high. That's not what it means. It's referring to a realm of existence that cannot be accessed by the five senses. Like the Bible speaks about a truth that there are things that you cannot see that affect things that you can see. That there are invisible realities that affect visible realities. Now, if you didn't believe in that, COVID should make you believe in that because you've never seen it. The flu should make you believe. You, you, can't, you can't see it. But it is an invisible reality that's that an intangible that's causing or resulting in visible and tangible impact. And the same thing happens spiritually. There are things we can't see that affect things that we can see. And so Jesus knew that in order for this person in this synagogue to become the best version of themselves, I can't just address them with information. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Yes, Jesus said, I can't just preach them out of this. That more sermons isn't going to fix this. Because there's something else that is influencing and governing their behavior that is prohibiting them from actually putting into practice what I'm preaching to them. So their life is going to change. I've got to address the resistance so that they can walk out the revelation. And I, and I know we live in an age and an era where we don't talk so much about this. And I am telling you, everything that is that shows up in the form of a habit isn't just a habit. And this is why some of these cycles are not able to be broken just by willpower. How many times have we made promises to ourselves about turning the corner, breaking some cycles that we're unable to keep? What does that say to us? It means that that cycle requires more than just human ingenuity. That cycle requires some existential assistance. It requires a power beyond you. It requires some assistance you do not have. It requires the Holy Ghost. And I know we live in an age where we don't want to talk about him that much now. But I am telling you, there's a time in your life where you will hopefully get a revelation that I can't 
can't break this by myself. I can't fix this by myself. I can't stop this by myself. I need a helper. I need some assistance. I need some power. And Jesus demonstrates this in the synagogue. I love this. See, this kind of church we want to be. A church of principles and power. We don't want to just inform. We want to transform. So this means we need more than teaching about Jesus. We need touches from Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I was about to go somewhere, but y'all, didn't, y'all, y'all don't know old school church, so I'm not, I'm not going to bother that. I'm not going to bother that something, something happened, and now I know he touched me, and he made, <laughs> he made me, oh, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, the joy that floods my soul. We need more than teaching. We need touches. Jesus is in a synagogue performing an exorcism. And we all don't need, I am not saying that we all need exorcisms. (laughs) I am saying there are times where we need spiritual intervention. Where we need more than a pep talk. Where we need someone, God, to break that which has a stronghold on us. Am I making sense? The text says, as soon as he leaves the synagogue, he goes to the home. He goes with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. He's called Simon. Now, not Peter. His name hadn't been changed yet. Because in scripture, the names were an indication of character. So God would change a name as a prophetic picture of who the person was evolving into. Watch this. He didn't name them based on their facts. He named them based on their truth. Your facts aren't always your truth. Yeah, your current condition is not always God's preferred future for you. Yeah, so, so we see examples of this all throughout scripture. We see God coming in the form of an angel to a gentleman named Gideon who is threshing wheat, which means he's got wheat, he's threshing it in the wine press. He's hiding it from the Midianites. So he's threshing wheat in the place where they're supposed to be pressing wine. He's doing that because he's hiding from the Midianites and God comes to a man and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Excuse my bad English, but it's good theology. Ain't nothing mighty about Gideon at that moment. Nothing is mighty about Gideon at that moment. When you listen to how Gideon starts talking about himself, you see Gideon doesn't even feel mighty. He doesn't even feel remotely mighty. As a matter of fact, he's feeling inferior. And God says, though, I'm not going to name you based on your facts. I'm going to name you based on my truth. Because my word does not return to me void. 
but it accomplishes the thing that I sent it out to do. So every time I call you that name, I'm calling you into your future. <laughs> every time I call you that name, I'm speaking to that you that's on the inside of you that you don't even know is in you yet. Yeah, that, 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 that I, I am getting ready to show you the transformative nature of my power that I can so radically revolutionize your life that you will look in the mirror on tomorrow and not recognize the image that you see because it is so different than what you saw yesterday. He says, I'm able to make you stable. I'm able to take a man like Gideon who is full of low self-esteem and doubt and make him a mighty, valiant warrior. Because I'm going to call it out of you. And that imposter syndrome wants to incarcerate the reality of who God's calling you to be and talk you out of your truth. And I'm talking to somebody who's undisciplined and saying you disciplined. And I'm talking to somebody who's unfocused and say you single-eyed focused. I'm talking to somebody who's inconsistent and saying consistency is in you. I'm talking to somebody who is timid and apprehensive. I'm saying you bold and you courageous and you full of faith. Did you hear what I just said? God's calling you into a version of you you didn't know existed. Come on, I'm going to take you, Jacob, you trickster, you manipulator. I'm going to make you Israel. So his name didn't change yet. He's Simon. And Jesus goes to Simon's house. Come get me, because I feel this. He doesn't go to Peter's house. He doesn't wait until he becomes Peter. He doesn't wait until he, until he becomes Peter to come to his house. He said, I'm going to come to Simon's house. Is there anybody watching that's glad he didn't wait until you became Peter to come see about you? He says, right even when you are the worst version of yourself, I still come to your house. Why are you praising him? Because he came to my house. Why are you shouting in your living room because he came to my house? Why are they making so much noise in the studio? Because he didn't wait until I became Peter to come to my house. He came to my house while I was Simon. He came to Simon's house. Now, I, 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 don't, know if y'all, I don't know if everybody's going to agree with this. I'm inclined to believe that he went to the house because it was Simon's house. Not Andrews. We don't hear a lot about Andrew. We hear a lot about Simon. We hear a lot about Peter. We don't hear a lot about Andrew. We forget about Andrew. We forget that was his brother. Andrew was not a part of the inner circle. So Jesus had 12 apprentices, right, primarily. And so three of them are what's called by some historians, biblical historians, the inner circle. It's like Jesus had a different relationship. I talk about this, this relationship. Every, watch this. Everybody deserves love. 
but everyone is not entitled to the same kind of access. Jesus gave different degrees of access without explanation. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't feel the pressure to explain to the other nine why he took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he did not feel the pressure to explain to the other nine why he took Peter, James, and John to Nagar to Gethsemane. Because he had to make a decision to give access to people that he felt like had enough character and competence to manage the access responsibly. And when you look at what happened with Judas, Judas shouldn't have went to the mountain. Are you here? When you look at what happened with doubting Thomas, Thomas should not have gone to the garden of Gethsemane. Thomas would have came out of that garden and said, let me tell you what happened with Jesus. He was sweating like great drops of blood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So those 12 were at the table, but everybody was at the table, couldn't go to the mountain. And so they're called his inner circle. Andrew wasn't in the inner circle, y'all. So he had to make a decision, am I going to manage or mismanage the favor that's on my brother? <laughs> See, this is my brother. I saw he didn't clean his room growing up. This my, I, I know him. I know Jesus don't know him. Jesus can't know him. That's what he's thinking. But if he would, watch this, if he would have mismanaged the favor of his brother, then it's possible he would have missed out on a miracle. Because sometimes what people don't realize is the favor you jealous of now is the favor you're going to need to benefit from later. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, I can go to the Old Testament and, and proof text that. That's exactly what happened with Joseph. Joseph's brothers mismanaged a favor they were going to need later. They were mad. Joseph had favor when they saw it manifest in a coat. But they were glad that Joseph had favor when Egypt went through a famine and Joseph was in a position to actually save and salvage their life. And some people could be blessed by you if they could just get over the favor that's on you. I said it and I'm going to say it one more time. I said some people could really be blessed by you if they were just, <laughs> if, they were, if, if they wouldn't be intimidated by in, uh, coveting the favor that's on you. They go to Simon and Andrew's house. And the Bible says Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. Peter's wife, mother, is sick. Now, we also don't read a lot or see a lot about Peter's wife. We know Jesus had an itinerant ministry. And we know Peter would travel with him. 
which means Peter was gone regularly. <laughs> and I am sure that that affected him to some degree relationally. But now, the same Jesus that was taking Peter away from the house is the same Jesus that's getting ready to fix what's broken in that same house. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, and this is something. Should I go here? Let me see. I don't know if, I don't know if church people ready. <laughs> I don't know. See, this is what the scriptures say. And I think we say it, but we don't, we say it cognitively, but I don't know if we embrace it emotionally. To whom much is given, much is required. So here's the reality of life on this side of heaven. There are backsides to blessings. Can I go here, y'all? I don't know if I can, but I'm already out here now. Yeah. There are backsides to blessings, right? It's like people want people that are great, but then want great people not to be busy. You see how quiet it got in the center? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Great people busy. Did you hear what I just said? Am I making sense? There's a backside to blessing. When you get somebody everybody want, you get somebody everybody want. <laughs> See, this not y'all. Uh, is this? Everybody want. Yes. Everybody. It's a backside. It's a backside to the blessing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if there's more convenience, if there's more blessing on one side, it's going to be more burden on the, on the other. You don't get the one without the other. See, that's, that's a principle that Jesus is talking about when he says, to whomsoever much is given, much is required. It's like, oh my God, my husband gets to walk with Jesus. But he gone. See, okay, Lane. <laughs> See, this is too. <laughs> oh, that chat is lit up right now. He gets to walk. Yeah, where is he? He walking with Jesus. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh. Am I making sense? Okay. Yeah, the, uh, everybody's upset. Y'all really coming in hot now. This is hot. It's hot now. <laughs> this is why. I, listen to me. Augustine, St. Augustine said this. God bypasses the prayers of our lips to answer the prayers of our heart. That's why some things.
things he not saying yes to because he knows although you want the front side you can't handle the back God, you're like, Jesus, why aren't you answering my prayers? I am answering your prayer, and the answer I give you is always the best answer for you. So if the answer is no, that's the best for you. If the answer is not yet, that's the best for you. And he says, sometimes I'm saying no because you think you want it, but what you want is the front side. You want a promotion. You don't want that pressure, though. You can't handle that pressure. Y'all aren't hearing what I'm saying, right? You want the freedom of entrepreneurship and let me just step out here and do it on myself. But you don't want the responsibility to eat what you kill. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. Yeah, you only eating what you kill. And that pressure's on you every month. Cause like, no, you said you're not built for that yet. That's why I hadn't answered that prayer. It's the backside of the blessing. <laughs> he goes to Simon's mother-in-law's, Peter's wife's house, and the Bible says she's in bed with a fever. I don't know why this leaped out at me. I heard this story before. I've read it several times. I've got my own devotional commentary I've written on the book of Mark. Um, so when I studied it in my devotional time, I wrote my thoughts. And so I've done some work with Mark, but fever has never leaped out to me the way it did this time. So I just did a little research, a little research regarding fevers. And this is what I discovered. Fever is when your body temperature rises above its normal temperature range. It's a sign that your immune system is working properly. That messed me up. To fight off causes of the fever, such as a cold, flu, or other infection. Wait a minute. A fever is when your body temperature rises above its normal temperature range. But the fever itself is a sign that your immune system is doing what it's designed to do. And that is to work to fight off what is causing the fever such as a cold, flu, or some other infection. So a cold, flu, or other infection is creating the fever. But then the fever itself is also a sign that your body is working to fight off the thing that's causing the fever. I'm going to say that one more time. So you got something that's happening, a foreign substance that is creating the fever. But the fever itself is a sign that your body's immune defense system is working to actually address and fight off the thing that's causing the fever. 
Hi-ya-ya-ya. So when Jesus walks in to Peter's home and Peter's mother-in-law is there, she has something that's happened that's causing the fever. Yet at the same time, her body is working, come on, to fight off the substance that's creating it. So the fever is a burden and a blessing at the same time. Because the fever isn't what's wrong. The fever is a symptom that's letting me know something's wrong. So if it wasn't for the fever, there could be something that's lingering on the inside of me that could destroy me that I would never give attention to if stuff didn't heat up in my life. But the heat... (laughs) But the heat in my life was an indication and a revelation that something else is wrong. The heat in the problem. But the heat is a symptom that there is a problem I need to give attention to. And I don't know who this is for, but I'm preaching to some people that's got somebody hot in your house. Okay. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? I'm preaching to some people who maybe you're the one that's hot in your house. And watch this. The hotness in the issue, but it's something else that's got you hot. Something else is going on. It's got you out. See, when people get hot and they get a fever, what can happen is, uh, uh, um, here's some symptoms of it, overheating. And that fever get too high. Overheating. See, something wrong. See, the overheating isn't a problem. The overheating is a sign of the problem. Why you get so hot so quick? Y'all miss what I just said? Yeah, why did did it get so hot so quick? You get hot quick. You got that heated over that? What's wrong? Overheating, sweating, right? Perspiration. Why, Why do you keep releasing so much of what you need to keep? Achiness. Why everything on you hurting? Headaches, weakness, decreased appetite. Why don't why not why aren't you hungry? So if you've ever dealt with decreased appetite spiritually, that's a fever. If you've ever dealt with an area of consistent and chronic weakness spiritually, that's a fever. If you ever dealt with headaches, mind problems, mind games, right? I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm not talking about chemical. I'm talking about situational, okay? Those are two different realities, right? I'm not talking about chemical. I'm talking about situational. That's a symptom of a fever. If there's aching, it's like everything always hurting. Everything hurting. That's a symptom of a fever spiritually. If you're sweating all the time, you keep releasing what you need to keep. Spiritually, that's a sign of a fever. And Jesus (laughs) walks into the house and sees this woman with a fever. And the Bible says he went up to her. Are y'all ready for this? Took her by the hand 
and helped her up. That's all he did. And the text says the fever left her. Wait a minute. <laughs> he didn't... St- <laughs> He didn't speak to, he goes to her bedside, grabs her by the hand, and the first thing he does is, so he touches her, and then he helps her sit up. And when she sat up, the fever left out. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? See, this shows you sometimes the order of God's activity. We want the thing to go out. And God's like, before this goes out, I need to sit you up. You, you, <laughs> you, you need, you, <laughs> I'm trying to take you by the hand, and I need to sit you up. I need to get you upright. I need to get you elevated. I got to get you out of the position that you're in. Because if I can change your position, I can help change your condition. I'm telling somebody in this room, God, and watching online, God wants to deal with your hotness. But before the fever goes out, he's trying to get you up. He says, are y'all ready for this? I'm done, Tario. He says, he says, he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now, I had had to look at this, because upon first reading, that didn't make sense to me. What you mean? She had to wait or she chose to wait on them. But I looked at this word wait and this word wait means serve. (laughs) Did you hear what I just said? I said this fever could not break. Jesus broke it. Don't miss this. Don't miss this now. But the text says when this woman got healed, she got up and begin to serve them. All right. Are y'all ready for this? Y'all want me to say this in church? This this kind of stuff should be normal in church, but yeah. If you're ready, put I'm ready in the chat. If if you're not sure, put I don't know. Put that in the chat, yeah. I don't know. Okay, are are y'all? Okay. Who, I put it this way, are you the only one helped if God helps you with your hotness? Maybe Jesus has a unique interest in intervening in the affairs of this woman's life because of what she's going to do on the other side of the miracle. Maybe, (laughs) did you hear what I just, maybe Jesus knew she isn't the only one that's going to benefit from what I'm going to do in her life. And maybe I'm, I'm incentivized to move in her life a different kind of way because I know she isn't the only one that's going to benefit when she gets helped with her hotness. If the only thing that happens is her fever breaks, but she doesn't serve and create a breakthrough for someone else, then what good 
blood was. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He says, but the reason, watch this, like in the Old Testament, the reason I can elevate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is because I know when they go down in the fire of furnace that they are not just thinking about them. They are thinking about my name. The reason I can elevate Daniel is because I know he's not just thinking about him. He's thinking about my name. So let me ask you something. What do you believe in God for? And what happens when you get it? I'm done. Who, who benefits from it? When the fever's gone, will you just get up? Or will you get up and surf? Lord, your miracles in my past are motivation for me to serve you in my future. <laughs> Lord, here's my point. I forgot this. I'm sorry. <laughs> that woman wasn't the only one hiding in that room. Heat, fire is also used as a metaphor in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the presence of God. And I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes with some fires, fire is used <laughs> to fight other fires. So when Jesus walked in that room, he was saying, I'm coming in hot. <laughs> Yeah, I know this fever's hot, but I'm coming in. I'm bringing some different fire that's going to consume and contain this fire that's burning on the inside of her. But I want to do it because I understand what she's going to do on the other side of the miracle. Now, this is, I know this isn't popular, but it, it's my conviction. Besides God's love, he loves us, and, and that's enough. But I want to ask us a question, man. When God, besides God's love, when he does it, now what? Right, right, right. So good. Lord, send me into a season of just financial abundance. Okay, but then what? Break this fever of lack off of me. Okay. Then what? Lord, get me out of this existence of emptiness. Okay. Then what? Jesus say, I came in hot so I could break that fever off of her so, she, so that she would be consumed by another fire that would cause her to serve others. So like, just like I came in hot for her, she want to come in hot for others because of what I did in her life. And I do think we've got to be cautious and careful that we don't, spirit, that we don't use faith to spiritualize selfishness. Bad grammar, but good the theology. It ain't just about you yeah. 
So my question is, I know God loves you. I wrote this in my journal earlier this year during my devotional time. I said, I want to be more than loved by you. I want to be trusted by you. I don't want to just be a man you love. God, I want to be a man you can trust. I want to say you can, you can trust me. So my question is, no matter what, what you're believing for, can God, he, I want you to know, he's, whatever's hot, whatever f- area of your life you're dealing with a fever, I want you to know God can help you with that hotness. I think my question, I want to challenge us a little bit in this message is, is to think through, then what? Can God trust you to serve after you've been served by him? And I think one of the things <clears throat> that prohibits faith from working properly or that creates a lot of frustration with uh, faith is, and I think we all have it. We all do. It's just like the prodigal son. We all do. We got a good father, a good, good father, our heavenly father. And that can produce a bit of entitlement. I'm entitled. I mean, I'm me, Jesus. That's why you're doing it, because I'm me. And he's like, you are you, but you're not you for you. You're you for them. So why are you? Are y'all here? Are y'all following? I want to move past what are you believing God for? I want to, I want, let's be honest. Why? Why? Lord, give me more influence. Do you really want to help more people? Or do you want to prove to people that doubted you that you could become somebody? See, you don't want to live your life being driven by proving something. You want to live your life because I am telling you right now, people that don't like you won't be convinced. You can post all you want. Look at me now. They still find it. Listen, they can be broke. You can be rich and they're going to still find something they don't like. Why? Lord, raise me up. Why? Are you going to serve me with it? Watch this. Do you believe you? (laughs) If you say say you're going to serve me with it, do you actually believe that about you? Lord, don't just purify our lives. Purify our requests. Make, make my ambitions pure. Because you're only, watch this. You're happy you get healed as long as you're close to, as long as you still have a memory of what it felt like to be sick. But the further you get away from sickness, the less happy you become about the healing. So as soon as God gets you out of something, you're glad just to be out. But then when being out becomes normal, it's not enough. 
then what? And this is why we have an epidemic of unhappiness in religious circles, because we are not being taught truth that says you're only going to be fulfilled when you're fulfilling your assignment. Break the fever. Then what? I'm going to get up and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to use my life in service to others. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And God's speaking to some of you right now. You have been serving, whether it's online or physical locations. He's speaking to you right now. He's like, I'm trying to purify your request. And I want to pray for you. I've gone over my time again. But Lord, purify my request. Father, I just thank you for your word today. And we all can testify you've broken some fevers in our life. You came in hot to break one fever to create another one. Well, we are on fire, inflamed, living with passion for the purpose that you've assigned to us. I pray that you purify our motives and our requests. That we will come face to face with why we're believing for what we're believing for. I just pray that you'd help us in that area and give us Give us desires in our heart for what you desire for us. We want to want what you want. Give us grace to handle the backside of blessings. To accept the reality that where much is given, much is required. And I thank you for this. And I commit your people to you asking this in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Put some fire in the chat. Clap your hands in the studio.